The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Um, If you'll turn in your uh, Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the Spirit are... For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you as we read in Psalm 107 before because we have been redeemed and may we proudly say so. Uh, God, we want to uh, now walk by the Spirit. We want to, Jesus, walk with you and in you. Father, we want to uh, uh, live lives that honor you but not by our own strength, but by the grace that you give. And Father, as we look at your word tonight, I pray that uh, your people, we as your people, would hear, would hear a better sermon than the one that is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God who, who dwells in us, is able to give life to our mortal bodies. I pray that we would uh, trust that that is true. And as we behold Jesus We pray that you would allow uh, our faces to be radiant. You said those who look to you are radiant. And so we want to leave even a little bit more deeper in love with Jesus than when we came in. We pray that you would make this happen by your grace, through your spirit, by the power of your word to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, it is it is good to be back. Um, a, a coinc- well, by the under the sovereignty of God, to uh, be here on Sunday and and back here on Wednesday. So it is it is good to be here. I love I love. Uh, I haven't been to such a small or smaller uh, congregation uh, in so in, in a while because North Shore is is what it is. Um, and so I just I just love the the family aspect of it, and we're just here. Uh, for Christ and to have him and to see him and to spur one another on. So uh, let us do just that. Um, I know Redeeming Grace Fellowship has been going through the fruit of the Spirit uh, during Wednesday night worship, and I have the eighth of the ninth one, which is gentleness. It is the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness. I know someone who grew up in a very traditional Eastern 
strict, harsh, and rash household. For those of us, very few of us, um, including myself, who are from the East or grew up in an Eastern home, uh, we know that uh, the demand and the standard for performance and obedience and, uh, and just listening uh, are held extremely high. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Right? And so some of us from the East or those of us who, has, who have grown up in Eastern homes, at least for me, we have grown up under a lot of harshness and a lot of rashness, a lot of strictness, snappiness, and quick-to-anger-ness. And so it was with this someone I'm very close to. He tells me about, his, about how his main parents got married multiple times and therefore multiple divorces. He tells me when he was growing up about how his home was such a war zone for emotional and psychological and physical sometimes disaster. At one point in his life, although now much better, uh, when things were at its worst, his, parents, his main parents would come home slam doors, stomp through the house, and harshly and severely yell at him and his sister because the kitchen light was left on or because the window was left open when the AC was on. At the smallest of mistakes, there would be the most fiercest anger. He even told me at one point that he wrote out a long list of things that he would have to keep so that his parent would not lose steam when they came home. Talk about walking on eggshells. I remember how he would tell me that I would, and I would even see it for myself in him, the fact that he himself would bring this harshness and this rashness and this quick-to-angerness into other relationships outside of his home. And so that is an example of what gentleness is not. Gentleness is not harsh and rash and mean and angry and rudely frank and direct, quick to anger and quick to wrath. Instead, what gentleness is, it is meek, it's humble, it's quiet, it's patient, soft, tender, long-suffering, and even overlooking, and I want to use that word carefully, but overlooking slow to anger, they're able to take a hit when they can. Gentleness is understanding that kids and adults and peers make mistakes, but dealing with them softly and tenderly in light of it. There's one definition I got in light of what gentleness is. It is properly temperate. It is displaying the right blend of force and reserve. The right blend of force and reserve. It avoids unnecessary harshness, yet it does not compromise strength or force when it is needed. However, the Bible, just an introduction on gentleness, the Bible is clear on when gentleness is not the priority. Not that it's not existent, but when it's not a priority. Remember Jesus in Matthew 23 of his raw rebuke of the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 2 to 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to bear them with even their finger. And he later goes on to talk about them in Matthew 23, 13. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You prevent them 
from entering in the kingdom of God. Remember Paul earlier in Galatians 1, he says, if anyone, even an angel, preaches a different gospel than the one I preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema, as they say. Let him be cursed. He talks about the the Judaizers, the people who are tricking the Galatians into thinking that by works they gain merit before God. He says in Galatians 6, 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They're telling you to keep the law, but they don't even keep it. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they could show off about you. They could boast in your flesh. They want to take advantage of you. Don't fall for it. I love, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite preachers, his name is Paul Washer. Um, he, says if, he says, as he you know, so fiercely preaches, he says, if anyone puts anything between you and Christ, any work between you and Christ, send them to me and I'll make sure it never happens again. I trust Paul Washer. It is these issues that where, where gentleness is not a priority is heavy God relationship interrupting legalistic gospel issues where the relationship with God, the the core of it is being interrupted. And so that is a broad stroke on gentleness, but let us dive a little deeper. If you're a note taker, I have three points for you as we navigate through our time. Point one is a root appeared. A root appeared. I know it sounds weird, but I'll get to it. Point number two, a fruit exemplified. Point number three, a fruit produced. A root appeared, a fruit exemplified, a fruit produced. Point one, a root appeared. In the original language, or in the Greek, root, I found 11 other appearances of the word gentleness in noun form. 11 other places that I found. There could be more. Excluding Galatians 5 as we see it tonight. So I want to take a look at some of those appearances of the word gentleness in the Bible, in the New Testament, and make some humble observations. I have two observations for us tonight. Observation number one is that gentleness is to be displayed especially in light of correction and rebuke. Especially to be displayed gentleness in light of correction and rebuke. We see this repeatedly when this word is used. Just a few verses later, in Galatians 6, chapter 1, Paul, as he is uh, giving application to uh, the, the people in the Galatian church, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If someone is caught sinning, right? see the language. Now, don't get quickly angry. Don't yell at them to get their act together. But restore him in a spirit of gentleness is what the Apostle Paul, is what God tells us through the Apostle Paul. See Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 21. Paul says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Paul, in the context of desiring to admonish and to care for his spiritual children as a caring father, chapter 4, 15 talks about him as a father, does not desire to come with a spanking rod but with a spirit of gentleness to lead the Corinthian believers. Paul later goes on in his uh, 
what is it, fourth letter of, to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, I, Paul, myself entreat you, I beg you, by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, is what he says. Right? He, he himself uh, explicitly uh, names the manner in which he comes. As Paul is entreating and begging the Corinthians to obedience, he comes by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is in light of correction and rebuke and obedience. Paul is not strangling or prodding or forcefully dragging the Corinthian believers, but deals with them as a caring father and a nursing mother. Second Corinthians 10, later on, he says, I don't want to appear frightening to you in my letters. I don't want to be frightening. So he doesn't scare them into obedience. He goes in meekness, quietness, and gentleness. Please listen. Observation number one, gentleness is displayed especially in light of correction and rebuke. And our second observation is that gentleness and humility, gentleness and humility are so closely bound together in the New Testament, at least from what I found. Meaning meaning that in our living out of gentleness, our living it out, the two ought not to be separated. Gentleness and humility. Look with me in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. Right? They're right next to each other. And I'd be, a, I'd be a, a, a bad minister of the word of God if I only pointed you to one verse. So if you'd look at Colossians 3, 12, he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, that root for meekness is gentleness, right? Gentleness and patience bearing with one another. Humility and meekness, or right, the Greek root is gentleness, they neighbor again. And it's not by accident. I don't believe anything in the word of God is by accident. So God might be communicating to us through the pen of Paul that our gentleness and our humility uh, ought to go together. Humility that says, I am not better than you. I am not above you. And by way of application, brothers and sisters, as we correct and have difficult conversations with other people, let us prefer the other above ourselves by going in meekness and humility and gentleness and in the gentleness of Christ. If Jesus left heaven and met us gently, We can meet our spouse, our brother, our sister, our sibling in gentleness and fragile care. As a reminder, one, gentleness is exercised especially in correction. Gentleness is coupled and partnered with humility. And another and maybe the most important observation regarding the adjective, not the noun, the adjective of the word gentle in the Greek appears four times. The most important observation about it is that twice it is used to describe Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which takes us to our second point. It is a fruit, the fruit of gentleness, a fruit exemplified. A fruit exemplified, a fruit revealed, a fruit shown to us by example. Get some water. Jesus, our Lord our master, our king, our savior, and our husband is gentle. 
God tells us this twice through Matthew to describe Jesus our Lord. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See the coupling of gentle and lowly. He, he gets to our level. He meets us where we are. He is not harsh and cruel like other parents and masters. He does this again in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. He says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, no, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. That word humble there is the same Greek root for gentle. He comes humble. He comes gentle. Not on a mature, war horse, white stallion, he comes to you on a donkey, on a colt, a beast of burden. The, the Son of God, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the one who commands the moon and the stars and the oceans and the mountains and the valleys, he comes to us humble, seated on a donkey. He comes to us gentle. See how the writer of Hebrews describes him as our high priest. Hebrews 5, 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is subject to weakness. He is exposed to weakness. He deals gently with us. Couple that with Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in every way. Brothers and sisters, what a shepherd What a king. We have someone who understands that we are ignorant, going astray and filled with flaws and weaknesses. He he gets it. He gets it. But he will keep us, he will lead us, and he will sustain us and deals with us gently. And so let us heed the exhortation of the writer of Hebrews one verse later. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We see Jesus' gentleness in descriptions about himself and the writer of Hebrews, and now we can apply that to how he actually went about his earthly ministry, his entire life, truly where we see a, a fruit exemplified. Remember the story of the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, sitting by the roadside, begging for sight, He hears that gentle Jesus is coming on the road, the son of David. Luke 18, 38 to 41, he says, he cried out, Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Picture this man and picture the gentle Savior that our Savior is. And he he stops after his second cry and he goes up to him. And Jesus, I can imagine him if he's sitting by the roadside, I can imagine Jesus getting on his knees and he asks him in, in utter gentleness, what do you want me to do for you? And the beggar says, Lord, I just... I just want to see. 
Jesus says, okay, see, your faith has made you well. Jesus is a gentle Savior. Brothers and sisters, this is the same Jesus we walk with every day in our homes with difficult children, in our challenging and secular workplaces, in our never-easy marriages, in our hard-to-deal-with family members. He walks with us gently. James says, but he gives more grace, and he gently teaches us and leads us and walks with us. Remember Zacchaeus, the midget tax collector, right? The passage immediately after the no longer blind and begging Bartimaeus. Sorry, as you read your New Testament, uh, you want to see that uh, sometimes they, they categorize passages by theme, not necessarily in chronological order. And so right after that passage of the blind beggar, he goes to Zacchaeus, the midget tax collector in Jericho, the guy that nobody likes because of the heavy fees and taxes he collects on behalf of Rome, the very people who are ruling over them. And if he, the tax collector, was a Jew, he was probably even more hated because he's supposed to be on their side. But he's working for Rome and taking money for them instead. But this is the very person Jesus would come to seek and save. This is the very person that Jesus, our gentle Lord, says, I must stay at your house, Zacchaeus. Nobody likes you, but I must stay at your house. Luke 19, 5 to 7, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. He, he, knew, he, he knew who he was looking for. Does our Lord make any mistakes? Whether it was the woman at the well or the blind beggar on the road, he knew who he was looking for. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Oh, thank God he has gone into the house of a man who, has, who, who is a friend of sinners. We need such a man. We need such a man. I can imagine Zacchaeus 2,000 years ago. Me? Me? The guy nobody likes? The guy everyone looks at weirdly when I come around to take their money because it's my job? Me? My house? Later, a few verses, Jesus would say, Indeed, salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. He eats with sinners and he does it gently. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house. And ultimately, we see the gentleness and meekness of our Savior in so many other places. John said we could not even fit all that he did into a book because he did so many things. But we see it ultimately and perfectly and profoundly in the gospel. See the one of whom it is written in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 and 6. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. How I took that as I was reading it was Jesus, I believe it is talking about him. He heard about the will of God to save his people. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and I gave my, my cheeks to those who pull the beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. See the one who did not turn back. If he, he did not turn back as he was being spit on and mocked and humiliated by the very ones he made. He continued to carry the cross through the city outside of the gate where he would be crucified for your sins and mine. What if he turned back 
What if he turned back from carrying that cross? What about us? What about the peace with God we now enjoy? What if he turned back as he carried your cross, my cross, and our sin and our shame on that hill? What if he turned back? Where would that leave us? Praise God. See the one who gave his back to be stricken. See the one whose cheeks were given to pull his beard and his face to be spit on and disgraced. I remember the, I remember the Roman soldiers. They, they stripped him of his clothes and they spit on him. And they said, prophesy to us, who hit you? Who smacked you with the stick? As they mocked the king of the universe. See the meek and the gentle one who was silent as he stood accused. The one who loves justice and who hates wickedness. Silent as he stood accused. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Silent as he stood accused. See him taste the wrath of God for sinners like us. The one who is in the bosom of the Father, says John chapter 1. This is my son whom I love. Now he's cast out so that we could be accepted. See him in Jerusalem, walking where the crowds are. Once these streets had sung to him, now they cry for murder. Such a frail and lonely man holding up the heavy cross. See him walking in Jerusalem on the road to save us. See him there upon the hill. Hear the scorn and the laughter. Silent as a lamb, he waits, praying to the Father. See the king who made the sun and the moon and the skies and the stars. Let the soldiers hold and nail him down so that he could save us. See the empty tomb today because death could not contain him. Once the servant of the world, now in victory, Reigning, lift your voices to the one who is seated on his throne. See him in the new Jerusalem. Praise the one who saved us. You, sinner, wherever you are, Jesus is alive and saves sinners. If you are not a believer here, if you will take him, you can have him. Come to the gentle Savior who forgives, who gives rest, and who smothers you in his loving arms. Come to him now and let him take you in. Point number one, a root appeared. Point number two, a fruit exemplified. The fruit of gentleness perfectly and fully revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. To whoever it might be, whether you're a blind beggar or a tax collector, or the woman at the well with a horrible marriage history. If you will take him, you can have him. The Jesus who commands us to live in gentleness, put on gentleness, is the same Jesus who walked it out perfectly. So he knows how to lead you. And not only that, he is the same Jesus in whom we must abide if we are going to live in gentleness. 
We know that the Christian life is not about do this and then we run out and do it. No, our reaction is, no, I can't. And I need your help, oh God. And so Jesus is the same guy, the same Jesus who commands us, who walked it out, and he is the one in whom we must abide. If this will become a reality in our lives, if you are hearing this message to be gentle and you're going to run out and do it, then that is not the point. The point is to see Jesus and to abide in him, which takes us to our last point, a fruit produced. A root appeared, a fruit exemplified, and a fruit produced, a fruit produced by God, not by us. Talk about how this fruit or any fruit is produced in us. I'm going to talk about how it's produced in us by grace. If I didn't mention it already, this fruit is produced in us by grace. The reason I emphasize that this fruit is produced in us by grace, if I haven't emphasized it already, is because we have the easiest tendency to fall into legalistic tendencies uh, of trying to produce this in our lives whether it's gentleness or patience or kindness or whatever it might be, whatever command we're given. And that's so much of what Galatians is about. All right, Galatians 3, 3 says, Are you so foolish, Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, having begun by grace? Are you now being perfected by the flesh, by your own works? We began by the Spirit and grace. We must continue by the Spirit and by grace. I love the song, and all I have is Christ. He says, uh, it says, now all I know is grace. That's the life we live. We dare not think that our own works before God are as a result of our own works or efforts. Church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, Christian background, whatever you might put your hope in, oh, we dare not think that that is gaining us merit before God. Those are a product of his grace. In Pastor Caleb's opening message on, on the overview of Galatians, he was, he was exhorted, uh, he exhorted every preacher to step in, in that, that pulpit, which I'm not on, um, but I'm on, uh, same, same idea, right? Strictly exhorted to preach a gospel-centered message with not a sniff of legalism. I would be feeding you poison if I told you to just go out and do it instead of pointing you to the Savior. We are not shooting for a surface-level moralistic gentleness. You can get that at the bookstore. We are not going for self-help or pulling you up by your bootstraps or white-knuckled Christianity. That's not what we're going for. We are saved by grace. We must walk by grace. Amen? How do we walk by grace is your question. Right? How do we produce this, the fruit of gentleness by grace? And it's, it's really, I think it's this, in summary, it's do not take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. Do not take your eyes off of him. Do not let go of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, now we see, once we were blind, but now we see, beholding, we look to, we stare at, we don't take our eyes off of the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image of Jesus. The transformation is is happening from one degree of glory to another. For this, the transformation comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. Our duty is to behold. Our duty is to look. Our duty is to gaze. 
How do we walk by grace? How do we bear fruit by, uh, by grace? Well, the text tells us. I love how God's word is so clear. We gaze and stare at the beauty of the Lord. See the one who is perfectly gentle, who in your sins and your shortcomings, he gets to your level. And he is the lifter of our heads, the gentle Savior. See him at the cross where he was quietly enduring hostility from sinners who let the drip of the spit of his creation fall from his face. See the gentle Savior quietly bearing your sins and mine. See him quietly absorbing the wrath, gently absorbing the wrath of God. This is the Jesus who walks with you daily. This is the Jesus who walks with us daily. So we gaze and stare at the beauty of the Lord. And as we do, the second part is we are being transformed. If, if that verse, it's not fine. Uh, we are being transformed. The transformation will take place. It will. The word of God says it. As long as the root is firm, as long as we have a heart dependent on him, the fruit will bear. The fruit is not the priority. Although, you, although it is the mark of a Christian, but the priority, the root is a heart that is dependent on Jesus. And as soon as we hear a command, we flee to Christ because we know we can't keep it on our own accord. Our job is to behold Jesus, to fall deeper in love with him, to abide in him, and to remain in him. We do that through, right? Not, not, not to earn more of God's grace. We do that through reading his word and knowing more about him. We do that through prayer, seeking his face, Psalm 16, being in his presence where there is fullness of joy. You say, Brother Gideon, that will lead people to abuse grace. People will say they love Jesus and do whatever they want. Not those who are truly his. If you're truly his, that cannot be your reaction. That's why I I am not afraid to preach the love of God. Because if you're truly his, we can say with the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in ourselves, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Look at this verse, verse 14. The love of Christ controls me. It constrains me. It, 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 it compels me. Because we have concluded this. This is why his love compels me. Because he has died. Do you believe that Jesus actually died? He gave his life as a ransom for many. Your sins were, the, were, were what hung him on that tree because he died for all that those who live, you and me, he dies while we live, might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for our sake and was raised. That Bible verse in one sentence in today's vernacular is, I cannot help but to love him back. He has loved me this far. He has, he, has, he has given his life. I cannot help but to love him back. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you for you deal with us gently. We are the blind beggar. We are the Zacchaeus. We are the woman at the well who doesn't have, we don't have our lives together, but we are the very people whom you offer to stay with. 
you tell us all, Redeeming Grace Fellowship, today I must stay at your house. Oh Lord, may we, like Zacchaeus, receive you joyfully. And may we be in awe and in response say, me? Are you sure? And Jesus says, you're the very one I came for. May we say with the Apostle Paul, from our hearts to our lips, not just with our lips, but from our hearts to our lips, God, do this by the power of your spirit. The love of Christ controls me. He has full control now because he has died for my sake and was raised. I cannot help but to love him back. Now all I know is grace. Father, may, would you, would you, by the power of your spirit, cause this to become a reality in our lives? For we do not trust in our own efforts. We, tr- we pray this in Jesus' name.